Today, we're going to talk about something that all of us are in the middle of. If you have any type of device, any type of social media, you've gotten notifications about this for the last few days. Uh, and where our posture is going to be for today reminds me of something that happened on my way to Costco last week. So Costco is usually like a battle zone. There are no signs of where anything goes, and the parking lot is crazy there. So it's always a spiritual experience for me because it reveals my need for Jesus uh, because of the things that I think about other people as I'm there. And I was driving, and I was at a stoplight. The light turns green, and green in America means go, uh, and the car in front of me didn't go. I am an equal opportunity frequent flyer honker that as soon as that light is green, if your wheels aren't moving, I know something that we all know. They're not moving because you're on your phone, all right? I know that because that's me, okay? But this week, I was in the car. The car in front of me does not move even though the light is green, and I did this time nothing. The reason was, is because the car that I drive often is a little Subaru, which has a little horn. It goes like, Neep. It, so it's basically like the horn version of saying, excuse me, did you realize the light is green? I would appreciate it if you moved. I was not in the Subaru. I was in the man van, which is a big van, and all the kids get thrown in the back, and it has a horn that fits its personality, okay? There is no fast option on that horn. There is no quiet option on that horn. There is only a ah! option on the horn. And since I knew the other person was just looking at their phone, I did nothing, right? Like anyone who's ever done this, we all know that you look up every now and then. Like every, you look for two seconds, you look up for one. You look for two seconds, you look up for, that's reality. So I sat there for half a second and he moved and I kept my honk to myself. It wasn't a moment for me to go, ah! It was a moment for me to be quiet, be patient, and then move forward. What we're talking about today is a moment for us to kind of get our head around things and then move forward. This isn't the moment for us to yell and scream and thrash and everything. We're going to talk about something that our culture is in the middle of, and Jesus has a way for us forward. He's got a mission for us. He's got instructions for us. He's got a word for us today that doesn't involve us being brash and angry, but instead has us walking through in truth, in love, and in grace. So today is June 6th. It's the first Sunday of Pride Month. What that means for that portion of society, for our society as Facebook and Twitter and everything else all the way down to Oreos is trying to introduce us into this, is this is a, this is a month for us to look at and celebrate and acknowledge and affirm uh, the homosexual, homosexual community and transgender community. And Jesus has something to say to us about this. This isn't going to be something where we pound our chest and we shout and we scream. We're going to step into this with heartbreaking compassion, with a holy engagement to be God's agents in the world. And so we're going to look at what God has to say to all people about sexuality. This is a great Sunday for your kids to go to kids' church, uh, but I think the ones that are in here are too young that everything's going to fly over their heads and we're all good. So uh, all this starts with posture. This is addressed and informed and gives us an idea about our posture and around how this relates to all people. And God's will for all is lived kingdom down, not culture up. 
God's will for all is lived kingdom down, not culture up. God's will for all humanity, people who believe in him and people who don't, is revealed in the Bible. This is the book that God wrote. This is a book that through 66 books across 1,500 years, over three continents and three different languages, all of this points to one message, and that is that God saves sinners. From the beginning to the end, from Genesis to maps, it's a message of God saving sinners. And so we can either look at this culture up and say, this is how God is because this is what I see around me and this must be who God is, or we can look at it kingdom down. We take what God says in here, we live under that authority. So God says, I want you to do this this way. We say, okay, I'm going to do it this way. When God says, this is the way that marriage and sexuality and bring children into the world, and when all that stuff, God says, this is the way it should be, we say, yes, Lord, and we obey. It's kind of like basketball, all right? Basketball games we're playing today. I'm praying that the Clippers lose because that will make my heart happy. As a Laker fan, no other LA team should be in the playoffs, all right? If mine can't, nobody should be. The people on that screen, there's going to be two groups of people. One of them is seven feet tall, weighs as much as your car, and can jump over your roof. All right? That's half of the people on the screen with the authority to change the game. The other half of people on the screen is somebody who's about five foot seven, weighs as much as a wet paper towel, but they have a whistle. That's the referee. As soon as they blow that whistle, everything stops. They have the power to change somebody's career because of how they use the whistle. And we're giving God that authority today. We're going to look at things that Jesus says about sexuality to step into that. We're not going to say, well, all the momentum is going this way. We want to be on the right side of the history. The seven-footer has the ball. We're going to let him do whatever he wants. All corporations are behind this, blah, 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 blah. We're going to say, okay, God, what do you want to say? How do you want to speak to us? How do you want to inform what's going on in our society around sex? And so Jesus' sexual ethic for all is this. It's one man and one woman and one marriage for one lifetime. It's simple. It's one man, one woman in one marriage for one lifetime. And often the question is brought up about this. Does Jesus actually talk about human sexuality? And people who don't read books about him will say Jesus never addresses it so we can say whatever we want. And the honest reality, if you read the Gospels, Jesus talks very openly about sexuality and he does it in two books. He does it in Matthew, which is the guy who walked around with him, who heard the things that Jesus said, and he did it in Mark. Mark was relayed all all of his information by a guy named Peter. Peter walked around with Jesus and heard everything that he said. So two eyewitness accounts talk about a time where the religious leaders, Jesus's fiercest critics, brought him an opportunity for him to completely change everything that his people understand and relate and teach and model about human sexuality. And there were so many times already in this point, we're going to look at one of them, where Jesus took a cultural understanding about this is the way that things are and completely flipped it on its head. And so here's another one. Here's an opportunity for Jesus to completely change everything that his people think about sexuality. This is in Matthew 19. You can read it. Uh, the reference will be on the screen. You can jot it down, look it up, proof text me, all that on that uh, later. But it says this, Jesus is talking about sexuality. It says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replies. Right away. 
Jesus is dragging the conversation back to something that was already thousands of years old. It's something that Jesus' people, that's us, but, but 2,000 years ago, had rehearsed and relived and had gone over and over again. So for us to take the common contemporary discussion about sexuality and tie it back to a book that was written thousand years, thousands of years ago isn't out of date. It's what Jesus did. God's word is eternal, which means it was just as right thousands of years ago when it was written as it is today. And it's also timely, which means it meant something thousands of years ago, and it means something today. It's not like it has an expiration date. It is just as fresh and applicable today as it was then. And so Jesus begins the discussion, not by citing a blue check online, but by saying, this is what God's word says. He gives us an opening to be able to do that ourselves. He refers to something as thousands of years ago so that we can be confident referring to something as well. And that's the Bible. And he continues. So Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record from the beginning, God made them male and female. Right away, Jesus highlights the binary nature of creation. That is, God creates things. There's binary nature to everything. There's dark, there's light, there's land, there's sea. And then he gets to humanity, he gets to us. And after God creates everything, he gives it a stamp all the time to say, this is good. Light, it's good. Dark, it's good. Land and sea, it's good. Everything he creates is good. And then he makes man and woman. He says, male and female, God created them and said it was good. God puts his stamp of approval on two different types of bodies. And the way that he differentiates them is their sex observed at birth. He didn't say, this one smells worse than this one. So we have the smelly and the unsmelly. We'll call the smelly one man. He says, one is a man and one is a woman. He's highlighting gender, and that's the only distinction that he makes, signaling to us if that's the only thing that matters, then gender must really matter that it is binary nature, that God did create it this way. And it gets God's seal of approval because at this point, Jesus could have overturned that. He could have said, but it's not like that. He could have given us a different way to look at it, but instead he doubles down on the way that God created things and saying, just as it was totally important at creation, it's still just as important. And then he continues. And he said, this is, the, this is the creator God. Jesus is quoting God. He said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. This is Jesus' moment to completely flip the way that society and that his followers for millennia afterwards are going to understand sexuality. And instead of giving us a new way to look at it, what he does is he grounds the discussion back to creation. It's like he rewinds the tape, takes us back to the way that people were created, male and female, and says marriage is the way that I want sexuality expressed, that it's created for this. And so we look at things in our world like homosexuality and we see that it's an area where people have taken a creation from God, our physical bodies, and have joined it to other physical bodies in a way that wasn't what God created it for. Men and women fit together in a way that creates life. And that's not the only reason why God created sex is for procreation. 
God created sex because it's a picture of two different people becoming one in a very physical way. And he grounds that in marriage because God loves families. God loves vulnerable children, and he wants them growing up, held together by a mom and a dad who are together for more reasons than just the child. He wants children to grow up in a secure environment. And the first thing I want to say is that if you're here and divorce is part of your past, that God is a healing, forgiving, restoring God. And within his power to heal and restore is that he also tells us how to live. If he can put it back together, he can also tell us how to live it the first way. And that's within marriage. And so Jesus' sexual ethic for everyone is one man and one woman and one marriage for one lifetime. And that's for the purpose of oneness, for the purpose of creation, for the purpose of men and women differently coming together to be a picture of God's perfect creation and God's relationship with people. If you think, well, I'm nothing like my spouse, this is really difficult. We're nothing like God. And he loves us perfectly. And so this is a way for us to demonstrate God's covenant loyalty to broken people like you and me. So Jesus says right there, this is the way that sex should be, as it exists within marriage. He's got his opportunity to completely destroy the paradigm and the box that people had put what sexuality was supposed to look like, and instead he doubles down on it, re-securing the message taught throughout the scripture that God's design for sexuality is within lifetime monogamous heterosexual marriage. He makes no, distinct, no confusion about that. He says, this is the way that I created things. And we can hear that, and we can look at our reality, not anybody out there, but our reality within this room, and realize that we're all broken. Like the amount of sexual sin in here could make Jesus look like an absolute phony. But the thing is, is he's not tolerant of it in the way that we understand tolerant. He's grace-filled, and he's challenging us to holiness because Jesus' lifestyle ethic is holiness all the time. Jesus' lifestyle ethic is holiness all the time. It's not like sexual sins are worse than other sins to Jesus, but he sees the damage that they can create. And in all areas of sin across the board, he says, leave sin and run to me. Leave sin and live the way that I created you to live, even in our sexuality, even in our relationships, even in how we work, even how we handle finances. God's saying everything, I want it all. And so his picture for lifestyle ethic around sexuality lifts up holiness above everything. He's saying there's no room to wiggle. I've got a plan for you. And the way that you walk this out, you're going to experience my grace, my healing, and my best for your life. And so like I said, there are times where people bring Jesus and understanding, they bring him, this is how we typically do things, and Jesus totally changes it. And one of those is in Matthew 5. It's another time where Jesus talks about sexuality. Verse 27, he says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
Jesus is saying two things right here that are totally critical for us in our day, whether we're talking about sexual things or non-sexual things. The first one of those is temptation is not the same as sin. Jesus starts out that conversation. He says, but I say, anyone who even looks, he's talking about action. He's not talking about anyone who feels the pressure. He's not talking about anyone who has this in their past and they're trying not to go back to it. He's saying, anyone who actually does this, which means that in my mind, as I read this and in ours as we read this, what he's talking about is there's a difference between committing and there's a difference between temptation. Us committing sin put Jesus on the cross. Us running from temptation and running to Jesus in the midst of our temptation glorifies Jesus. It worships Jesus. It makes Jesus look good. We're not going to get into how, how to get out of all of this today because that would be a nine-hour seminar and we all want to have lunch soon, right? But one thing we're going to talk about is Jesus' grace towards repentant sinners. That's people who realize, I have messed up. I have sinned. Jesus, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want this to be part of my life anymore. I want that gone. I want that past tense. I want to live new life with you. And for us to run from temptation, whether it's around homosexuality, whether it's around gender dysphoria and thinking that we are in the wrong body, or whether it's involved having sex with somebody that you're not married to or feeling the temptation to do it, which is also known as being a teenager, Jesus is glorified in us as we run from sin and run to him. I was reading this week to get ready for this, and this is a quote that, uh, that somebody said, that I read. It says, when I do this, when I run from temptation, when I fight temptation, turn to Jesus, trust his promises, and rely on his spirit, God is, what's that word? Pleased. He's not mainly displeased because I need to fight, but he's pleased because I am fighting. That's grace right there. Very few of you came to Jesus because of the things that he taught You came to Jesus because you found forgiveness. You came to Jesus because you found that your past could be wiped away. That more than any human agency will ever forgive you, God forgives you. Not only does he forgive you, but he puts your past as far away from you as the east is from the west, and he leads you into a new life. We didn't come because of the things that he taught. He comes because we came because of the experience that we had of being forgiven. And so Jesus says that when we make him look good as we fight temptation, whether it's gender dysphoria, whether it's same-sex attraction, whether it's sex outside of marriage, we lift Jesus up, and in that process, he draws us near to him. That's the moment of grace for us. This is the moment where this gives us, as Jesus followers, a reason to have hope during this month. Because do I think that everything is going to turn around this month and pride is no longer going to be a thing and the world is going to become heterosexually monogamous within, within marriage? This year, probably not. One day it will happen when Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, it reminds us that Jesus is a forgiving God. That Jesus makes us new, that he makes life new, that he makes the world new. And God is glorified as we follow him in the face of temptation, believing that one day Jesus is going to make himself look better than the temptation, than the sin. And so people are going to choose to follow Jesus, not because the danger of not but because following him is that good. For those of us in the middle of this, if you're sitting here today and you either feel like you're in the wrong body and you're in the middle of gender dysphoria, whether homosexuality is part of your past or your present, then for us, Pride Month means it's a moment 
for us to see Jesus as the savior of the world and we trust him with the fact that his way is best even if we don't understand it right now. We step into following him even in the areas where it doesn't make sense in our culture because we trust him. The second thing that we see in this is, is where he talks about gouging out an eye and chopping off your hand. It's not because he wants the church to look like a mash unit. It's because he's saying this is how serious sin is. The sin that put Jesus on the cross lives inside of each and every one of us. And so we either kill sin or it kills us. There's no in between. And Jesus is saying, as you let me in, I will take over every area of your life that you make allowance for me to do. And I will lead you to a new life. Sexual sin included, gender dysphoria included, same-sex attraction included. We trust that that new life, and we have seen that that new life covers everything. And so Jesus knew everything about you. He chose you anyway. He forgave you of your sins. If you call yourself a Christian, this is your reality. And for us, the fact that our past is gone, that we live in freedom, that the things we did no longer characterize us anymore, but the shed blood of Jesus to cleanse us of our sin, that's our reality. That affects the way that we live. That affects the way that we live. There's a guy who used to hate Christians until the day he became one. Some of you are like, hey, that's my guy. And, uh, and he says this. He's not Jesus, but he saw the way that Jesus' people lived and worked and did life and did sexuality. And he said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then there's a line that changes everything for us. It's a line that moves us to, from death to life. It's a line that characterizes so much of where we have been and where all of us have been as men and women who cling to Jesus. He says, some of you were once like that. Some of you were one of those. Some of you were. That means there's a change. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That changes everything for us. For us to live as Jesus followers in Pride Month in 2021 doesn't mean we bang our chest and yell at people and tell them that they're going to hell because that was once us. That doesn't mean that we are afraid to never have the discussion, that we're not going to talk about sexuality because we're afraid of hurting people because that is not what people did for us. One day, somebody loved you and me enough to tell us that running away from God was going to send us to hell. And so we're not afraid to do that in other places, but we do it with hearts that are broken in compassion for our world. We do that with the desire to prayfully engage in Pride Month in 2021 to demonstrate the love of Jesus who saves people like you and me, not from our good deeds, but saves us from our sin because that was once us. When we had our grand opening service a few months ago, one of the things that we, we talked about was that this is going to be a place where every single walk of life is going to know that God loves them that every single walk of life is going to know that sin separates us from God. 
And every single walk of life that comes here is gonna know that Jesus rescues us and sends us on a new life. And sometimes that life is difficult. Sometimes there's massive transformation that happens around walking in new life. And that's where we trust Jesus. Do I have five steps today on how to kill same-sex attraction in your life? No, but I have Jesus. And Jesus is the one who promises us to make us new. He's the one who promises to live out in our lives. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were changed. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And that gives us hope for this month. That gives us hope that just as Jesus was on the throne before anything started around Pride Month, he's going to be on his throne after, and he's calling people to follow him. What's our response? Our response is heartbroken compassion, prayerful engagement, and a willingness to say, okay, God, send me wherever you want me to go. I'm yours. Own my life and make it the way that you want it to. We live lives that are a picture of kingdom up or kingdom down, not culture up. And we live the way that Jesus created us to. Let's worship and pray.